you know, basically the, the information about uh, the reliability of the Bible. And I was thinking about this last week with a lot of things, you know, to use like an analogy from uh, uh, like track and field. You know, you have like the, the high, uh, hurdlers have hurdles to jump over or they have a, um, a bar that, that's set to a certain height and they jump over, right? So you might have one bar that's a low bar, right? And then you might have another one that's a higher bar uh, to clear. So, uh, you know, with a lot of these things, it's, I think when we talk about apologetics, it's the same way. There's kind of the low bar that's easy to clear, easier anyway, and then there's the higher bar. For example, what this portion of the class, basically we're talking about two topics, the existence of God and then the reliability of God's word, right? Which are kind of two questions of our skeptical age. We said really, you know, when you historically look at it, to say that there is a God, there's some type of higher power out there. Is that a low bar or high bar? That, that's the low bar. I mean, pretty much everybody through history has believed that till more modern times. I mean, it's, it's just kind of common sense we learned, right? Now, the higher bar to clear for us as Christians, if you want to put it that way, and we're looking at an apologetic sense, is who is that true God? You know, very specifically, we believe it's one God, the three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? That, that's, that's the higher bar. And the same thing here when we talk about the Bible. It's just, you know, some people we talk about will just kind of dismiss the Bible as a book of myths or it's an unreliable thing. Really, is that a low or high bar to refute that? It's actually a pretty low, low bar. I mean, even honest scholars would have to look at this and say, you know, hey, this is a, a pretty important document from the ancient world because we've got all these manuscripts. We've got the people are either eyewitnesses or had access to the eyewitnesses. I mean, it stood the test of time. So really to say the Bible is something important that we should consider, that, that's really a pretty low bar, actually. Um, and then the higher bar, though, is what? That this is God's word, that this is, you know, 100 percent pure, the word of God. So I think when we talk about a lot of these things, that's kind of an analogy I was, you know, kept coming to mind is this idea of, of clearing the bar. So sometimes in our world today, we think that first bar, oh, I could never get you know, over that. But really, it's with a little bit of knowledge, it's, it's not really that hard. But, you know, then we do have these, you know, the higher bar to clear. And ultimately, though, as we, we, I keep coming back to, where does this have to come from? It has to come from God, ultimately. Well, you know, what, where, why do we believe that it's God's word 100 percent? And the guide for our life and the way of salvation is because God tells us. Well, why do we believe that? Because we have faith. Because God has, has uh, given us faith by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Um, all right, so we talked about that. We talked about the translation, transmission of the Bible. Um, and we looked at, uh, you know, some of the ways to understand that. The original languages, the amount of manuscripts that are out there, how they were painstakingly, you know, copied through the years. And how, it, as I just said, it matches up to where you have the most uh, valuable record of, of the ancient world, uh, really, of, of anything that's, that's out there. So um, I think we got to page 10 um, on here, which we're going to talk about uh, some words here, and then basically how we got uh, the, the scripture uh, that we have today. So let's, uh, before we get into the new material, let's uh, pause for a moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that we celebrate Thanksgiving. We thank you for all the beautiful things that now are adorning our sanctuary, and may they all point us to you as we enter this Advent season and we prepare to celebrate once again your birth, and we also look toward 
uh, you are coming again on the last day. So let us uh, have uh, a time of preparation, a time of prayer, a time of digging into your word uh, during this time of the year, as always. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so uh, we will we'll jump into the material today uh, after that quick kind of overview of what we looked at. And so uh, one word we need to, to look at here, we talk about, sometimes you hear this term uh, when you talk about the Bible, talk about the scripture, uh, and the word is canon, okay, the canon of the scripture. We talked about the, you know, what books are, are the canon of scripture that make up the Bible, because we're going to talk about there's these other writings out there in the ancient world. So how did what we have get, you know, considered to be, you know, the, the holy writ, the, the scripture of God. So sometimes you hear that term, the canon, and uh, what it says there on the study guide, what does canon literally mean? What does it say there? What's the can, what does canon mean in this sense? Measuring rod. Measuring rod, right, the measuring rod. So the canon of the scripture, it's the measuring rod. So what that means is the books of scripture are the standard. They are, they are by wit what everything else is measured by, right? Okay, they are, they are the ruler. They are the, the, the guide, as we say, the third uh, use of the law. So, so we talk about the canon of some of the documents of which everything else is, is judged. Uh, it stands above everything else. You know, if, if you've ever, I've been doing a little bit of this with our renovations and, you know, put hanging things up and all this, which is kind of tedious. But, you know, when you're doing, if you've ever done any kind of like little home improvement projects or projects in your workshop, what do they always tell you? you? You look at something and you're like, well, this looks right. Then you drill a hole and it's wrong. What do you have to trust? You got to trust the measuring tape, right? You got to trust that because if you just start going by what you see, it's going to be wrong. But even, you know, yeah, that just doesn't look right. And then you don't trust the measuring tape. And then before you know it, you're putting plaster on the wall and sanding it and having to fix stuff, right? So with the scripture, if we take that analogy, they are the ruler. They are the measuring rod. They, they are what everything else is judged by. So we need to trust what God has given us. Everything else is measured by that. Even if it doesn't seem like it makes sense to us. Uh, we were talking before Sunday school, and we're going to hear in a sermon. God tells Noah, okay, I'm going to flood this whole place. I want you to build this giant boat. And it sounds crazy, but it's true because everything else is measured by the word of God, right? Okay, so the scripture is, is this measuring rod and they have this distinction of divine inspiration. They are accurate and it distinguishes everything from everything else. Even other so-called uh, religious text, it is the only one that is the pure word of God. Okay, so how do we get uh, what we call the canon of scripture? Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit today. Now, using my bar analogy here, Okay, we need to go. We need to go into this a little bit. All right, what you will hear out there from critics of of the Bible and, and trusting the Scripture, you will hear. Um, well, there were a bunch of writings out there in the ancient world, and then the church just picked the ones that they like and they put in. So, so why these books that that you Christians say are the Word of God and not these other ones? Okay. Well, let's, let's acknowledge something first. Are there other writings from the ancient world besides the Bible? Yes. Are there other writings from the ancient world that claim to be uh, some type of, have some type of religious purpose? Yes, there are. Okay. So, you know, we, we, 
we acknowledge that, that there are other writings out there. There are other things that are called gospels or, you know, some type of, of writing that's supposed to be authoritative. So you have, you have these writings out there. Again, do we have, it, again, we're, we're in the age where basically anybody can publish a book nowadays with the internet, right? I mean, if you want to, if you want to get your book published, you can do it. Okay. You used to have to convince a publisher. Now you just can do a few clicks of a mouse and suddenly you're an, you're an author, you're a published author. Okay. Anybody can do it. So we live in an age where there's all kinds of writings and there are all kinds of books. So first of all, if we go back to the ancient world, were there nearly as many written documents? No. So, so, so again, the pool that we're talking about, we're choosing from, there are other things, but it's not as big of a pool as what we see today. Okay. So first of all, we're, we're parsing through a, a smaller uh, collection of documents than, than we are today. So, we, you know, sometimes people don't understand that today. They think, oh, there were millions of books out there. No, not really. There, there was a pool of writings, uh, but uh, not nearly as big as, as today. So, again, if we're, if we're putting a, a, a collection of God's word together, if we are deciding, and ultimately God is behind the whole process, but let's just you know, play this, this game for a minute. If we are, if you're in the early church, leadership of the early church, and you're saying this book is authoritative scripture and this one is not, to make it into the canon, which everything else is going to be measured by, does this need to be a high bar or a low bar? High bar, high bar. really high bar, right? If we're going to say this is God's word, this is God literally speaking to us, I mean, that needs to be a high bar. So, Right away, we see why isn't everything that's written out there in the Bible? Well, because not everything can meet this standard, right? There's a lot of things that are going to fall short. And if it's kind of questionable, like, okay, some of the stuff in here sounds good, sounds right, but some of it doesn't. Should it be included here? No, it, it's got to meet. It's got to meet a pretty high standard. Okay, so. I say that to, 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 if you look at all these other documents that are out there, even the ones that, you know, some, you know, try to argue, well, these were, you know, religious texts and they just didn't pick these in or whatever. Could there be things in those writings that are true? Yes. Could there be things in there that are useful even for us as Christians? Yes. But to make it to this high standard to be included here, it's got to be pure. It's got to be, it can't be false mixed in with the truth. Okay. So again, we don't have to dismiss everything else that's out there and say there's no use. There's no historical value. There's nothing in there that may have happened, but they don't meet the standard. They don't meet the standard of being 100% the word of God. And we're going to come back to that a little bit. We'll talk about the Apocrypha for a few minutes. Okay. But before we get to that, Let's talk about the Hebrew old, the Hebrew canon, which is what we call the Old Testament. Um, of course, the Jewish people would call it the, the Old Testament just the, the scripture. You know, they have the Torah and the wisdom books. They have different, you know, uh, different um, ways to categorize it. Um, <clears throat> but by the time of, of Jesus, that you have this, uh, you know, the Hebrew uh, canon, the rabbis are using basically certain texts as authoritative. You can see official counsel was given a little after the time of Jesus at 90 AD for the, the Old Testament books, but the Jews were basically already using, uh, you know, uh, these writings. Now, of course, people weren't carrying around these things. They might have little pieces of the Torah on their foreheads or, 
or arms, as the Old Testament said, and in the usually in the synagogue. You go in the synagogue, and there would be a, a big scroll with, with portions of Scripture, and that was held in very high importance because, again, actual written documents are very rare. Okay? Um, so what was the Hebrew test for uh, canonicity to what made it into what we call the Old Testament? All right, there's really two main things. Okay? Number one is... You look at the document itself, and what did we say we see stamped all over the Bible? This phrase. Like, it could, depending how big your type is in your Bible, it could even be an average of two times every page. God said, said, thus saith the Lord. The Lord says, as the Lord spoke through his prophet. So first of all, you'd want the document to give evidence within itself that this is God speaking. That this is not just a, a tax record or, you know, some type of other you know, uh, kind of records. And it's kind of interesting, some of the oldest written documents we have, if you, uh, are tax records, which I find kind of humorous, you know, <laughs> it's like, you know, some of the oldest preserved their tax records, you know, so, so they've been taxing back then. But uh, the, uh, but does the, the, the book itself give evidence of, uh, this is from God, okay? And then the second thing is the source. Remember, we talked about this last week, Right. We have different historical sources, even when we study American history or whatever history. And you have documents and you determine the reliability of that document. And a lot of it has to do with who wrote this thing, right? Who wrote this thing? So um, American history example, George Washington chops down the cherry tree and his dad catches him. And what does George tell him? You know the story. I cannot tell a lie. Well, did you know that probably never happened? <laughs> okay. Uh, and where does that come from? There was a, a man who basically wrote little stories about Washington in the, uh, I think it was around 1820 or so, uh, to kind of teach children good moral lessons. And it comes from that. So now we don't have any primary source from George Washington's father or his father, anything saying that happened. So what's more valuable would be more valuable to prove the cherry tree story, something that somebody just was writing about Washington, who had no direct knowledge of him wrote, or something that Washington or or a close associate wrote. Obviously, the close associate or Washington himself, okay? So yes, okay, you could have a document that claims to speak for God, but who is this? Who is this guy? Okay, is this one of God's prophets? you know, that bear out what he said was true. Okay, guys like Jeremiah, Isaiah, things like that. So really, those are the the two main things uh, with the Hebrew canon is they were looking at saying, does this show evidence of divine inspiration in the contents? And then number two, is it written by a prophet or an accredited representative of God? Okay, it says those who wrote under divine inspiration were well known to have God's blessing. The people knew a prophet when they saw one. After the completion of such a work, it was placed into the temple or tabernacle along with the other sacred writings. The sacred writings which defiled the hands were eventually collected into an authorized list. Tradition tells us that the men of the great assembly, including Ezra and Nehemiah, about 400 BC, authorized the final list of the Old Testament books. So again, by the time of Jesus, well before the time of Jesus, this is pretty much established. Uh, in uh, in Judaism, that these are the books. You know, these are the, the 39 uh, books. Now, again, they divided them differently than we did, but the same content there. 
okay? So there's really not a whole lot of debate about as much, there's not as much debate about the Old Testament canon uh, because it was more established by the, the time of Christ. Okay, now I said we're going to come back to this a little bit. Let's, let's talk about something that's a little fun here. Um, the apocryphal books, okay, the apocrypha. the apocryphal books. Okay, the apocryphal books. All right, so as we know, uh, I think we've talked about in our in our Bibles, you have the Old Testament, and then it goes, that ends with uh, Malachi. Okay, and then you have Matthew, right? If you're flipping through your Bible, you got Malachi, and you got Matthew. Four, Malachi is 400 years, a little more than 400 years from Matthew. Okay, so you've got a 400-year period there where the prophets of God are silent, uh, not speaking till, till John the Baptist comes. Okay, was stuff happening with the nation of Israel during that time period? Oh, yeah, it certainly was. I mean, we end up with somehow a big thing during that time is the Romans come in. And by the time you start reading the New Testament, the Romans are in charge. Okay, well, I thought they had restored the temple and all this in Mount. Yeah, but then a lot happened in this time period. Okay, so these, these apocryphal books, uh, they are written after the close of the New Testament canon. So they're written actually after uh, the Old Testament canon was, was basically closed. We talked about around 400 BC. But what they do is they fill in the gap between basically the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. Okay, they're written in Hebrew. Okay, and here's, here's the debate, though, in the, in the church. Um, should these things be considered scripture or not? Okay. Well, if you read in the early church fathers, uh, there's kind of a, there's not a consensus opinion on that. Okay. Uh, some of them felt like that they should be and some felt they shouldn't be. Okay. We get to the time of the Reformation. Okay. And the Protestant Reformation, Luther and, and Calvin and the others, uh, do they, do they say the, uh, the Apocrypha should be part of the Bible? No. Okay. Now, the Catholic Church, do they accept the Apocrypha as, as the Bible, as part of the Scripture? Yes, they do, to this day. Um, the Eastern Orthodox Church, I think they even have a few more books than the Catholic Church does. I think so. Uh, so so in, in these other branches, they have the Apocrypha as, as part of, basically, the Scripture. Um but that was not declared by the Catholic Church till after the Reformation. It was uh, during the uh, Council of Trent. They formally declared that the uh, Apocrypha was, uh, was part of, of the Scripture. Um, now, Luther, for his part, did he dismiss the Apocrypha completely, though? No. no. Uh, he said that uh, about the Apocrypha, he said, it is useful to read the Apocrypha, uh, but they're not Scripture. Okay, and I, uh, Concordia, our publishing house, to this day, you can buy like a, you know, they have like a little commentary on the Apocrypha. You can buy. Honestly, I've never really studied the Apocrypha a whole lot. You know, I've read a little bit of it. It's just not something I've spent a whole lot of time studying uh, the contents of it, but there are those resources. So again, kind of what we talked about earlier, I mean, 
ultimately you have two categories, right? You have things that are the word of God and then things that aren't, right? The, can, the scripture is the, the canon, the measuring rod of everything else. But if we want to parse that down a little further, you've got things that, of course, are the scripture and everything else is, is measured by that. But then of all these other documents, you've got some of them that are just wacky, that are just zany, that are just out there, right? But then you've got others, as we said earlier, say, take the Apocrypha. Is there stuff in there that probably really happened? Some of the history and all. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the, the celebration, the Jews celebration of Hanukkah. That's where it comes from, the apocryphal uh, sources. However, again, are we looking at high bar, medium bar, or low bar here to be considered part of the canon? Very high bar. So the Apocrypha does not meet that standard of being uh, undoubtedly 100% purely the word of God. Okay, and again, the, uh, it's a question, a question in a second. The, uh, the, the early church, uh, certainly there was not a consensus saying that these books should be part of the Bible. It wasn't until Council of Trent where the Catholic Church formally said these are scripture. Second of all, uh, what about the, if we're looking at the Jewish canon? No, that they don't, they don't have the Apocrypha in there as part of their, their canon, which I think is a pretty important thing. Also, you don't see the Apocrypha really quoted in the other books of scripture. And we could go down a, a list of reasons why it shouldn't be in there. So again, the Apocrypha can be useful. Uh, there's some good history in there. However, we don't put it on the same level of, of scripture because we need to meet that really high bar. This is the pure an adulterated word of God, it need to be accepted by the 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 uh, and used uh, by the by God's people. All right, question or comment? Well, what surprises me is the Jews didn't use first and second Maccabees where Hanukkah is, and they didn't accept it, and yet that's a, a holiday for them. Now maybe it's only okay. liberal Jews. Now, <laughs> no, no, they, Jews. yeah. Well, a little bit on the background of, of Hanukkah, it does come out of this this Maccabees. You know, for, there's first and second Maccabees part of this uh, this apocrypha. It's, it's, a, it's not as big of a feast in importance to Jewish people as many of the others, like Yom Kippur and uh, Passover, of course. Why does it get a lot of notoriety, though? It's around Christmas. It's around Christmas. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's got, so it's kind of like the Jewish version of Christmas. You know, they give, as part of tradition is, you know, have the, the, the nights of the giving of gifts and all that. So if Christmas wasn't so close to Hanukkah, I mean, religiously, the significance of it, I mean, it's, it's a feast, they celebrate, but it's not like in that upper echelon like the others. It's just, if you ask people to name one Jewish holiday, they might say Hanukkah because it's, it's near Christmas time. So, but again, you're kind of making the point I was making earlier here. Do we just dismiss all the history and the events just outright about the Apocrypha? No. Okay, so the, the Jews, even though it's not part of their canon, they're saying, well, we believe this really happened and God did this miracle. But at the same time, we don't say the contents of these books meet the, the standard of, of being included in, in God's word. Okay, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, maybe the answer is God didn't say celebrate Hanukkah. Mm -hmm. he, he, it just happened and then, you know, the rabbis decided they were going to do that because mm -hmm. it was a miracle and all that. Yeah, but yeah. If it, God didn't say it, then... Don't keep it. Right. So, so, uh, so, yeah, so it's kind of interesting little history there of it. Um, but any other questions or, or comments with that? Okay, so uh, as it says there in, in your notes, the reformers reopened the controversy, established only the Hebrew canon as 
authoritative. But again, in the Roman Catholic Church to this day, they still have, they say the Apocrypha is part of the scripture. Uh, one of the things is a couple of the questionable doctrines that they get, um, they can draw a couple of things out of the Apocrypha, like one about like praying for the dead. There's like one verse in uh, one of the Apocryphal books that speaks about that. So there was probably some motivation there to include those because they could kind of support some of their doctrines. But even with that, I mean, a lot of these doctrines, they were wrangling about the Reformation, the position where you really can't even support them that strongly from the Apocrypha. I mean, you got like that one verse that it's kind of bizarre, you know, about praying for the dead in the Apocrypha. But I mean, there's really not even a whole lot of support for their, their stuff in there. But that may be one of the reasons they wanted to uh, kind of codify it there. Okay, so that's, that's about all we need to say about the, the Apocrypha, I think, unless there's any other questions or not. But the Lutheran Church has never... Um, uh, dismiss the Apocrypha and say nobody's allowed to read it. It has no value whatsoever, but we've always said it is not part of the canon of Scripture. Okay, that's why we don't have it as part of our readings and we don't have it as sermon text. Once in a while, I might reference something from the Apocrypha in a sermon, but I'll make it clear that you know, this is not you know, uh, from the Scripture, okay? but we don't have any re Scripture readings or anything from it like that. Okay, um, All right, the New Testament canon, let's talk about that a little bit because that's the one that's uh, where a lot of the controversy lies, because by this time, you know, you do have a, a few more writings and stuff out there and things like that. So what we need to understand, first of all, again, uh, as I said a few times, the, God didn't just send an, an angel down from heaven and say, here's the book, black leather cover, chapter divisions, all neatly organized. Here you go, John, or here you go, Peter. Just deliver this. From the, that's not how it happened. Okay, so there was a process here uh, that was that took place over a period of time, and the important thing we understand as people of faith, we don't look at this purely just in an academic sense. Because you look at how all of this came together and how it was preserved, we understand that that is miraculous. That who was directing this whole process of getting us the Bible? God, yeah, the Holy God, the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, it, it, we obviously understand as, as people of faith that that uh, believers in Christ, that this God is behind us. You know, how, how did we get the Bible? Well, God gave it to us. Okay, now we can look at some of the history and the scholarship and all that, but ultimately, you know, God is directing these these men of God that are uh, that are making some of these decisions. Okay, all right. So there's a fourfold test for what gets in the New Testament canon. Again, very high bar, very high bar. If we're going to say this is the word of God, this is God's word to us, that's, that's a high bar. We need to be very selective about what gets in there and what, what doesn't, okay? Uh, apostolicity, okay, kind of a big word there. This one goes back to the first test for the Hebrew canon. What does this have to do with? First thing we want to look at is we got a document here yeah, who wrote this thing? Who wrote this thing? Okay, was this written by an apostle? You know, was it written by Paul or Peter or uh, one of the 12 disciples or as a couple of the New Testament books are uh, by siblings of Jesus, like James and Jude? Okay, I think they knew Jesus pretty well. Okay, all right, they, they grew up with him. okay. So, so who is the author of this thing? Or in the case of, say, Luke or Mark, the other two gospel writers, you have Matthew and John, they were part of the 12 disciples, right? But then you have Luke and, and Mark. Well, we see them referenced in the other 
uh, letters, okay, Paul's letters and things like that. So they had, even though they weren't one of the 12 disciples, they had firsthand direct knowledge to the eyewitnesses and they lived in that time. Okay, so they're close. This isn't a George Washington chopping down the cherry tree story a generation later. These are people that lived in that time that talked to uh, the witnesses. Okay, so, so who's the author of this thing? So if the author is, you know, Billy Bob, the sheep farmer who had no knowledge of, of Jesus, and he lived 300 years after Jesus, well, that's not really nearly as reliable a source as one of the apostles, right? So again, we've got all these documents out here, but, but who wrote the document and when did they write it? When did they write it? Okay, was it hundreds of years later or was it, you know, within the lifespan? Because, I mean, the New Testament, again, scholars debate this and all, but we're talking about what the, what the traditional scholarship has said, what the, what, uh, what the church has confessed and believed. All of these New Testament books were written by what date? Hundred A.D. Revelation was likely the, the last one was ninety five. So Jesus, we don't know the exact year of the crucifixion, but let's say it's between, it's around thirty to forty A.D. in that range, depending exactly how old Jesus was when he started ministry. Because the Bible says he was about thirty. So a lot of people say, well, he was thirty. Well, it says about thirty, so he's probably between thirty and thirty five. But anyway, that's again when we're talking about ancient sources, that's not a long time. And the last one is written by John, <laughs> who was a very close associate of Jesus, right? Okay, so all of the books we have as the canon of the New Testament are early, are written very early. Okay, a lot of the other ones that don't make it in, the other sources, they were written much later. Okay, they were written much later. Okay, um, even things like that Polycarp wrote. Well, he was a... Uh, he was a disciple of, um, uh, of John. And then you have Irenaeus wrote after Polycarp. And Irenaeus is considered a very important, very early scholar of the church, confirming you know, a lot of the, the things. But are his writings scripture? No, because he was a couple generations later. Now, I don't think he ever claimed he was speaking directly for God. But it, they're, they're great documents. I think we even have a commemoration day for Irenaeus on the church calendar. But they're not scripture. Okay, so the first test there is the authorship, the, the who and the when. Ne next thing, number two, is we want to look at what? What's in there? Content. Yeah, yeah. The, the, what's, in the, what's the content of this thing? Is it just like a governmental document or is it a, a tax record or, you know, what's in there? Does this, does this pertain to the faith? Okay, and also... And this one gets a little tricky, you know, but I think you understand it if you've done this before. As Again, I think this is the work of the Holy Spirit. And the, you know, the early you know, leaders of the church certainly had the Holy Spirit. When you read the Bible, okay, I'm just asking you here. When you read the Bible, does it feel completely different to you than anything else you read? Yeah. Yes. I mean, it does. Even if, you know, I've read some of the other uh, for my master's, I did a lot of research into Islam. You know, I went to Morocco years ago, a Muslim country on a mission trip. But even, you know, I, I've read the, the whole Quran. It's just, it's not the same as the Bible. I mean, it has a completely different feel to it. Okay, the same thing when you read a newspaper or you read a great novel or a great poem. 
I mean, there's just, when you read the scripture, it's just something in there says, this is different. This is different than anything, you know, else I've read. Okay, does anyone else have that? That, okay, I, I see a lot of nodding heads, so we're going to say yes. So that goes to the contents too, okay? Again, I haven't read the whole Apocrypha, but what I've read of it, I'm like, this just isn't quite the same. It's interesting, but it, it just, it's it, it doesn't sound like the Bible here, okay? So again, this one maybe is that the, you know, when you look at all the, the academic aspect, the historical records, but there's just a, there's just a way that it's written. And even a lot of the, the Greek and everything in the Bible, it's very good. I mean, it, it's, it's very well organized and put together, okay? Or we're learning about Job on Wednesday night. Scholars say this is like the finest example of ancient Hebrew literature. I mean, just, I mean, it's just the poetry in it is incredible, okay? So, so when, when you read the Bible, what are the contents? What are they talking about? And does it really line up with Scripture? I mean, I guess if we're using an analogy, if you read a summary of a book from a PhD student, and then you read a summary of a book from, I have a second grader, so I'll say second grader. I mean, it's going to feel a little different, right? Okay, so there are some of these things they could look at and say, well, God would inspire this, you know. This is, this is not, you know, the lofty level. Okay, so what are the contents? All right, this one's important, number three. Universality. What does that mean? Everybody will accept it. Did the early church accept it as scripture? Why is that important? Now, we're talking about before 100 AD when these things are written. Yeah, it's close to the time. And they understood that this, this was a word from, from God. It was important. Okay, so Paul writes a letter to one of the churches. Did Paul claim to speak for God? Yes, he did. Okay, so there you have the authority, you have the contents. Well, if they read this letter in the churches and they passed it around, and then later on, other churches, are pastors are preaching from these texts, what does that tell you? That they believe this was God's work, right? Okay, so again, you've got all these documents out there, but which ones were the churches using? Which ones were they saying were authoritative? And even in the books, books of the Bible, you see other books of the Bible quoted, don't you? That's another thing with the Apocrypha. When you read the New Testament, there's little to nothing quoted from the Apocrypha. It's all from what we say as Protestants, this is the Old Testament. If the Apocrypha was scripture, don't you think Jesus and the apostles would be quoting from it? But they're not, okay? So the same thing here. We see references to uh, the, 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 uh, this being the word of God. So that's very important when we look at universality. Were, were, were these books accepted in the early church? So again, this isn't just a bunch of guys with pointy hats, you know, fancy hats getting together in a room in a council and saying, okay, guys, we got a bunch of documents here. Let's just you know, sort through them and pick the ones we want. No, they understood which ones of these are we using in our churches? Which ones of these have we been accepting as God's word for, for years? Okay, so what was the usage of this thing? Okay, all right, number four. Does the book give evidence of inspiration? And this goes back to number two for the, the Hebrew Old Testament, right? Okay, does the book give evidence of inspiration? Again, you know, is the book claiming to speak God's word or deliver 
the message of God, the gospel of John. He says, what's the whole point of this book? I'm telling you these things so that you'll believe in Jesus, right? You know, Paul says, God has made me an apostle, you know, to, to preach these, these things to you. So, so again, what's the evidence of it? Uh, does the book give evidence of, of divine inspiration? Okay. All right. So that's a little bit there about um, this, how we got the 66 books in, of the Bible, this collection of books. And again, the, the key thing, if you don't remember anything else, is that, okay, you've got documents from the ancient world. What's God's word? High bar, very high bar, okay, as to, to what, is, uh, what is included in, in God's word, all right? Um, any questions or comments on that? All right. Okay, well, that's a summary of, of the Bible, and we've still got about... 17 minutes. So I think we can introduce the next topic. Um, but uh, uh, this this will finish the 102 portion of, of the class. Okay, so basically in this one, we've looked at the existence of God, the importance of the Bible, the, the, the truth of the Bible, and then we're going to move on to the, the 103 level.